0: Well, this is Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air, and I am Jim Grant. And with me, as always, is the great deputy editor of Grant's, Evan Lorenz. Good morning, Evan. Good morning. Good. That sounded cheery. Go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are recovering uh, from uh, volume 39, number two we published uh, last night, and it generally takes... 36 hours or so to clear heads, but um, we are uh, striving for clarity this morning because we have on the transatlantic telephone, uh, we have Tom Beavers and Jules Hull, and they are members of the uh, team of StockViews, of which more in a moment. uh, In fact, Tom Beavers is the CEO and co-founder, and uh, what StockViews does is uh, know stuff about equities and uh, know not only the things that one can know by glancing at uh, public documents, but actually – getting in under the numbers, and uh, procuring not only facts, but also insights. Very valuable indeed. Evan, we came to know uh, Views because of their merely superb analysis of one of the uh, companies that we wrote about, uh, if memory serves, in a a somewhat disapproving vein. Was that correct? That is precisely correct. It's a company based in Europe
1: that has very opaque accounts and just doesn't like telling you anything about what they do.
0: Uh, that's, 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 That's always a good sign. But uh, what, what intrigues me also about stock views is uh, what they have done with um, the computer, to uh, use the technological word. They are using, if memory serves, if, uh, something called machine intelligence for getting again in deeper into the numbers and uh, somehow uh, snatching meaning. Uh, from otherwise inert data.
1: Perhaps when you mm. pour over the um, the screen and you kind of see the red flags that are kicked up on governance, accounting, and other things, what broad trends are you seeing? And did anything change over the course of COVID? Did companies become more aggressive in presenting earnings? Did they become less aggressive? Did you see any kind of mm. worrying trends start to emerge? Like when you kind of take a look at all the data that gets pulled up from your product, what's the conclusion you come to? Well,
2: well, well one well, thing Evan, that, that we have Spotted is that the number of companies that that allude to adjusted earnings and that look for EBITDA as as a sort of central yardstick for for investors that that has been on the rise and dramatically so since since the impact of COVID, which which is one of the sort of reasons why what we're doing with Dragonfly to coalesce the um, the red flags that emerge in governance and in in the accounting side, which is the sort of why and the the how. That can become incredibly powerful at this moment, where you where you've seen that, you know that really ramp up. Um, Tom, sorry, if you're you're about to.
3: Yeah, it, it, there are many. Yeah, what what we find fascinating is delving into the to the to the individual signals because these the signals kind of pop up at, at various points, and and we like to look into it and see. Sometimes that signal is not always. Uh, a valid signal because you can have a red flag that, that maybe once you dig into it isn't uh doesn't necessarily uh point to anything egregious but uh yeah when we've been following up on some of these these flags and looking into the to the specific instance what what we are finding is that uh and we we look under the surface we we are we are finding a lot of instances where these these point to seemingly egregious behavior uh and uh, I think what's you know, one of the things that we found really interesting is just how much uh, management are prepared to or uh, able to push the envelope a little bit in terms of presenting a certain narrative and uh, and, and how that's often been uh, accepted by the market in this environment. Can you give us uh, an example of what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of companies who are raising a lot, yes one example I suppose is exceptional items a huge number of exceptional items coming up and particularly over the course of covid this management taking advantage perhaps of covid to a degree to say yeah there are a lot of costs here which are which we consider exceptional and digging under the surface you can you can find companies where they've they've been pretty generous in their their definition of exceptional and 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 pushing a huge amount into the exceptional bucket in order to Present a good view of normalised earnings. This kind of, I suppose, the EBITDA, uh, EBITDA C, if you like, uh, EBIT before depreciation and amortisation and COVID. So this kind of bucketing a lot into into exceptional items is one thing that we uh, that we see. You know, it's. it's Is uh,
0: astounding to the observer, uh, the ordinary lay observer of affairs in Europe, I guess, particularly, but also worldwide, is the ability of of an outfit like uh, Wirecard, the Mm. infamous uh, German payment processor, to get away with year after year of uh, criminality in its accounts, to have lost uh, a billion 900 million euros gone missing. Uh, to have stonewalled the Financial Times, to have uh, mesmerized the European buy side. I mean, how did that happen and how how does that fit into the way you proceed? And has the European mentality changed since these revelations have uh, finally emerged?
3: Yeah, I think part of that is a part of this, right, is a a global phenomenon that we find investors are, are just so credulous in this environment of what's management tell them and there's a there's very little room for skepticism in this market and actually you, you know you look into the details of wirecard there was the, the signs were that yeah, once you dug under the surface there were a, a lot of the stuff had been brought to the surface which the market was frankly just ignoring and it wasn't stuff that was yeah some of this stuff wasn't even that hard to to find and it was there for the there for people to see and yet and, and and yet we saw Wirecard well, kind of uh, grind on and on and we saw the the in, in investors kind of uh, follow it which was was pretty interesting in itself and then and then you know the other element which is a bit of europe specific here is is the regulator who was yeah aggressively aggressively against the yeah, took, took, took umbrage at the short sellers and, and very much took the side of the of the company in all of this, which I think, to, uh, to an observer in the in the US, looked looked astounding, quite incredible. I think I think there's some kind of how should I put it? So, 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 some kind of introspection, definitely some introspection from this. I don't know how how much will will change because there's, there's a certain cultural element here whereby short sellers are kind of seen as the, the the devil by by regulators and governments in europe but I, I, certainly there is some some level of introspection but i'm not i'm not entirely confident that, that the culture will change
2: i was just going to say that i think the head of Bar- we had the head of the, the german regulator resign i think last week wasn't it so i i think there are signs that there's a different attitude emerging and certainly probably needs to be a slightly different attitude emerge when you know there are multiple signs out there that that something is you know especially when they come like you say from from you know it, it, quite reputable sources in, in multiple different angles it, it's it, it's even more extreme to to ignore them but
1: so, uh, uh, I also believe that Boffin, the regulator, the top guy uh, who just uh, resigned, also owned Stockton uh, Wirecard during the process of uh, uh, attacking the Schwartz. One question I have for you is in the U.S. there are certain states where a company is incorporated that tends to indicate that it may be more fraudulent on average than uh, other companies and there are certain industries that are more aggressive in accounting. Like if I um, look at a generic software company, I expect them to add back stock comp because they say it's not a cash expense and they'll have a very big difference between adjusted EPS and EPS. Are there certain countries or regions within Europe that are more aggressive in accounting or certain sectors or subsectors where you see just more red flags than other sectors? Are there certain places where you think the Fishing's, I guess, just a little more, you know, lucrative when you're starting to look for a short, if it's a, say, German company or a Luxembourg company or a company in a certain industry?
3: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say so much geographically, actually, but certainly sector-wise, there are, you know, as, as you mentioned, software is a classic one where the, particularly around revenue recognition, there's quite a quite a bit of leeway there there's some permissiveness within the within the way that revenue is recognized that, that can be taken advantage of let's say yeah sometimes in the the healthcare sector is another one that uh, where you do see sometimes aggressive revenue recognition there are certain sectors where you have some kind of uh, leeway or ability to juice the numbers a little bit more than than other sectors definitely yeah, it's an interesting question on the geographics. We it's not something that we've really looked into, but it's it's
2: quite possible that you'd find a path there as well. And also on the I think in the capital goods space, with the sort of emergence of how contract assets are now classified with the RS 15, you you know, there's quite a lot of leeway to distort the picture potentially there. So certainly now it's another space where, you know, anything that has long dated orders, um, definitely an, an area that sort of flags up quite aggressively.
3: Is there another wire card out there? I'm almost certain there is. These things don't travel alone. It, and it, you know, it comes back to the analogy with Worldcom and Enron. That you have your Enron and then you have your Worldcom and your Tyco and various other uh, other, other frauds come out. So it it kind of comes back to, to my initial comment that I think this is a you know extremely fertile ground for for frauds, and I I would expect that there are there are more to come. The timing is, of course, a a difficult one, but I imagine the the, the fallout probably isn't limited to
2: to Wirecard. What we're hoping to try and do with with where we're going with Dragonfly is, as we build out the governance side of of the sort of red flag capturing, which is much more esoteric and, and the way the data is presented is incredibly heterogeneous, so, you know, often it's something that's glossed over by, uh, even though the rise in ESG is massive, as you guys have talked about in previous podcasts, you know, it's often the remuneration reports, uh, you know, run runs 20-odd pages, but they often get overlooked. So one of the exciting things will be to blend what you're seeing in some of the more non-obvious accounting flags that we look at, where you have to go into the real detail of, you know, the accounts like loss allowances on trade receivables or something like that. And then combining that with thinking about, you know, other signs you're getting on the governance side, whether it be what's going on in this incentivization or related party transactions or being able to sort of then combine those signals together. And it'd be lovely to try and go back and sort of stress test that on, on some of the, the examples that, that we talked about earlier. But that's where maybe you can start to do that sort of human brain analysis of piecing the puzzle together, right? That's ultimately what you want to be able to try and do. Well, the regulator probably wants to
1: try to as well, right? Based off of your work so far, are there certain kind of approaches to accounting or fine print or language in fine print or in um, the various sections about management remuneration that you think investors should be on the alert for? Like if you see like a certain approach to, I, I don't know, uh, accounts receivable, it's just something that kind of hackles on your, uh, your back and kind of indicates that there might be something there. Are, there. are there kind of certain trends that you're seeing that, you know, investors should be looking for and that you think are kind of ripe for abuse at the moment?
3: Yeah, I think one great place to start, we think, and and one thing that we cover is just how management incentivized, and that's something that we can extract from the corporate governance disclosures. So how is their bonus structured and what metric is their bonus based on? So if you've got a a structure where the bonus is, say, 100% based on revenue, to take an extreme example, and you can earn out two or three times your base salary purely on, on, on that metric that to us create an environment where that management is incentivized to juice the numbers or to aggressively you know, push the whole organization towards revenue generation over anything else. We, we look quite closely at those incentives and what, how management are incentivized because we think that's often where trouble starts. I think it was um, Charlie Munger who said, show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome, something like that. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm quoting him correctly there, but uh, that, we think that's really important. How our management incentivized?
0: We were talking to Tom Beavers and Jules Hull of the uh, Stock View team, and uh, I wanted to ask you fellows what can machine learning do that humans can't, and what can humans do that machine and artificial intelligence, we want to go, what machine intelligence systems cannot do?
3: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. and my co-founder on the technical side would probably talk for, for days about this but i'll give you the the, the high level kind sort of overview here so essentially the the problem that we have as human analysts is that the the amount of information out there is just too enormous to really process in any sensible way when you look at the the average size of an annual report that runs to several hundred pages It's going to take several days for an analyst to run through that, to look at all the fine print, to look at all the disclosures, calculate the ratios, look at the numbers, and to draw insights out of that. So that's a fundamental problem that we're seeking to address is that just a bulk of information out there is just too much for a human to process. That's just one company, right? So what a machine can do extremely well is to pull out the data or the disclosures that look important to us. And of course, we need to, what we do as humans is to build the algorithms to tell the the machine what to look for and what's significant. That machine is effectively extracting various data points. So we're we're looking at several hundred data points across every annual report. Some of it structured data, so some of it coming from a table in, from the balance sheet or a a table in the notes to account. Some of it is coming in a more unstructured format, maybe a, within the corporate governance disclosure, some text that we need to extract. So what our systems do is extract the correct data, extract the relevant data, and then draw insights out of it and transform it in a way that a human can then understand, not just the data dump, but, but turn it into some kind of insight that a human analyst can then understand.
2: Okay. The, the level for a human bit beyond that is applying the context in a market which you know trying to understand the the inference of that on a market which does still have humans at the root of of the decision making right so even though you know algos make up the the bulk of trading or or whatever it is you still have human beings the bulk of a lot of the decision making although that's that's obviously changing with passive flows etc but once you have that unbiased you know data service to you as an analyst, you can then have that more generalist view of applying it in a sort of mosaic format that, that obviously humans are 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 much more capable of versus a, a machine with its sort of very more specific, you know, specific focus.
0: Gentlemen, based upon the work that you do and that your machines do for you, would you say that the most the more attractive approach to the 1,200 or so companies that you analyze is to be long them, or are the better and more compelling opportunities, in your view, on the short side that is selling them and uh, then harvesting the decline? Which side of the market, the long or the short to you, appears
3: fundamentally more interesting in Europe? I would argue that fundamentally the short side is looking more interesting here. But to come back to to your earlier point, there's certainly that's not to say it, 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 it's it, safe. That, it's <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, well, that's, that's it, this is This yeah. is
0: a bit of a problem, right? Because, um, here, fellas, look at the wonderful flowers out in this field. Of course, the field is mined, and you may well <laughs> blow yourselves up as you pick the daisies, but still, have at it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's, it sounds like a bit of a conundrum. And something else I've noticed in your research, fellas, is that you seem to abjure the role of a salesman. I read someplace that you will not have anything to do with
3: salesmen. Is that, that's correct is it we take the attitude that we try not to because we we wanted to set up something very different to, to what the sell side does we don't push meetings on on our clients everything that we it, it's more we publish our notes and then if people want to talk to us that that's fine but we try not to Kind of, uh, we 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 do we do have a sales function, but we don't uh, we we operate in quite a different way to the to the rest of the sales side, I suppose, and that we just put out an opinion, and that then if our clients want to talk to us about it, then we then we do rather than aggressively kind of push our push our pieces. Sounds almost diffident. I mean, who buys the drinks? Oh, never mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to harvest the analyst time. I think is is the best way of thinking about it um, yeah. in that sort of circular. A virtuous circle of, of benefit.
0: Now, do, do you do anything on the, on the
3: on the debt or credit side of the market, or is it purely equities? At, at the moment, we're purely equities, actually. Although the you know we as, as the dragonfly system developed, actually that uh, that data could have equal value to a debt holder ultimately if they if they want to understand the balance sheet and the disclosure the same way that maybe an equity analyst would want to. Okay. Could you, help, could you help the audience uh,
0: understand what the dragonfly does that um, other machine-based analytical systems do? What is your unique contribution to the business of extracting
3: meaning hmm. from information? So really what I suppose is quite unique about the system is that we, our focus is on accounting and governance shenanigans, which yeah. No other, to my knowledge, no other system does, at least not to the same extent. So what we're trying to do is to put into code a lot of the red flags that a human analyst would normally look for and might have in their head to look for, or even in a checklist to sort of look through a a set of annual counts and to, to see if they're present. What we're trying to do is to put into code those commonly used or sometimes uncommonly used accounting flags and governance flags that one should should look out for because it's kind of like a a, a person going through with a a huge checklist and and and, and, and working out you know, have have inventories written for example faster than sales and that that yeah that's just one example of the kind of thing that it looks for, but it's, it's really just putting into code that those those red flags that we as human analysts would look for. when when presented with a a set of accounts.
0: So this uh, Dragonfly elicits uh, something like 600 raw data points per company, is that it?
3: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah.
0: How long does it take Dragonfly to spit out 600 pieces of information on a company? I suppose six or eight Uh,
3: weeks, is it
0: uh, a month? well it's uh yeah yeah it's pretty pretty important Or, or or, so or is it, it fine? Is. <laughs> okay yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so dragonfly works works a lot harder than human beings, right i mean does it like it doesn't take days off and call in sick <laughs> yeah, um, I, I probably,
2: yeah it also hasn't got any human bias, which is the the other wonderful feature in that you'll service the data and you have to deal with it and work out whether it's you know whether it needs to be taken more seriously or not. You know, without having any previous um, prejudice yeah. against that data.
0: How is business the, considering the explosive
3: nature of a short gone wrong? What we find is that people want to, to kind of know the risks of what whether they're on the long side or the short side. It's really valuable information that is, yeah. is difficult to get in any other way, I guess, or difficult to get. At, at your fingertips so so rapidly, so there are, there are various kind of use cases for it but whether you're whether you're a short seller who's is kind of seeking out that big blow up that that next kind of wire card or whether you're a long holder who just wants to be aware of hey is there yeah. anything that I, I should be looking out for that, that's kind of yeah the the fact that we have multiple use cases kind of helps to 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 kind of diversify our the our, 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 our sales of that product
0: what would our listeners pay for access to um...
3: A dragonfly so uh so but access it depends upon the the number of users but it starts off at $15,000 for a small team and then it kind of increases up uh, uh as the number of users increases uh so it's, it's kind of priced a little bit like uh, many other software products yeah so
0: $15,000 a week is it uh that's a yeah so oh it's a bargain it's a bargain, a bargain. it's a bargain <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so is there is in your view, is there an upside limit on the number of clients who can be reading this before uh, there are too many and the ideas are too widely distributed and uh, therefore are uh, less lucrative for the subscriber? You have a, you have a cap. We at Grants, uh, just for, by way of context, we mm-hmm. I think Evan, if, if memory serves, we have limited our circulation to five million people. I think. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. just five million. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a, is
3: there a, is there, is there <laughs> <similar>. yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, actually, although the, on the research side, we would consider putting in a, a cap there because it's very specific insight. On the software side of things, we're probably a bit less concerned about putting in a, a cap in terms of the number of users in that actually what it serves as is a, a, a kind of generalized risk System for spotting risks it's not it's not necessarily the be- all and end all of you know if you if you if you have this data you can outperform it but it's a starting point for then right. doing your own work if that makes sense it gives you the ability to see where should i instead of sitting down for a week and reading an annual report it gives you immediately that ability to see where should I concentrate my effort what should i ask management so it's a kind of tool to enable you to to do further work yourself it's not it's not necessarily much as i love it. Sell it as a magical alpha tool. It, it's not quite that, but it tells you what where where you should be looking as an investor, what you should may be I, focused on.
0: May I suggest, one just one the,
3: as the marketing suggested, you might want to
0: propose, want to kind of place it in there as a magical alpha tool, right, Evan? Wouldn't you do that? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. I, I've, read, I've read enough um, p- presentations from the special purpose acquisition
1: companies. Just promise the moon. I mean, when you <laughs> deliver it, that'll be like five years away. And who knows what the world's going to be like then?
0: Just promise everything. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Is, is there is there any chance of you gentlemen crossing the Atlantic Ocean as, as broad as that is and taking up uh, U.S. equities as well? The skepticism yeah, so market said- here is, is kind of – is I, I think it's kind of
3: underserved. Yeah so at at the moment we 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 have a few US clients but who are interested in European equities but that is definitely the next uh, next sort of stage in our development is to, to develop out our technology to cover US equities, which actually it does need a few tweaks because US GAAP is different to IFRS, and so some of the the line items that we're looking at are, are different, and so yeah. we need slightly different sort of tweaks to the algorithm. But it's uh, it's not like we're, we're we're starting from square one again. So uh, yeah, that's definitely the plan later later in the year to roll out us equities
2: as well all right yeah and, and Jim one of the one of the interesting things I think in this is that you know as everyone's dashing for the ESG type framework and you know everyone's marketing ESG as a way of just raising assets really the one of the appeals I think is that we're we're doing something on the on the governance side where you can actually try and apply a bit more of a bit more of a robust and hopefully coherent framework Um, and because we're attached to an independent analyst team there's a constant sort of feedback loop that that hopefully means that you know you're not left blindsided by changes yeah. in in attitude or whatever it happens to be and i, I think you know that will be one of the challenges for everyone going forward is you know as you develop machine tools and everyone tries the different things to work is how you adapt and change and learn yourself you know with your own inputs and yeah you know, that's hopefully something that given we've got the research alongside it that, that we can use one another to harness each other really yeah
0: terrific well, this has been um, very interesting talking to you, Tom Beavers, and to you, Jules Hall. Thanks for your time and uh, and for the uh, the Lord's work that you do uh, around here at France. We feel that anyone who uh, begins with the attitude, yeah, yes, but that's the approach we celebrate. So uh, right. uh, bravo carry on, and uh, I would also suggest, uh, as a marketing thing for the entire city of London, why don't you guys get out of the house and stop this lockdown business? It sounds as if it's becoming rather tedious.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, free- They're all getting tired of <laughs> sitting at home. Well, that's a, kind <laughs> of a, a,
0: a free suggestion from the city of New York. So um, <laughs> keep, keep us keep us apprised of the uh, new worlds that you're going to conquer as well. When you come to New York, let us know. Uh, well, uh, it's
3: well it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jim and Evan. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Good
0: to Jim. talk. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. On behalf of Current Yield Grants Interest Great Observer of the Air, I'm Jim Grant, and we'll talk soon.